Are you an investigative professional? Did you know you can find the best private investigator resources using investigatorstoolbox.com? This resource community was built exclusively for licensed investigators and investigative professionals. You can network directly with members, educate yourself through free webinars and blogs, and even create your own customizable research library. Membership starts for as little as 49 cents a day. Download the Investigators Toolbox app or visit our webpage at www.investigators-toolbox.com. Is a good case management system keeping you from taking your business to the next level? Crosstrax is the premier case management system for the investigative community. They're the only SOC 2 certified case management software available. Visit Crosstracks.com, tell them you're a listener, and save even more. Get a plan in place for the new year to grow your business to the next level. Welcome to PI Perspectives. Matt is still recovering from his IntelliNet trip to Las Vegas last week. Traveling delays did not permit him time to record an episode, so we decided to dip back into 2020 and bring you one of the most listened-to episodes of the year. Matt did a roundtable with Neil Cadell, Jimmy Messes, Mike Doris, and Kelly Riddle. It's a great episode, and there's lots of information worth brushing up on. So please welcome our roundtable guest and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. Neil, we're going to go with you first. Uh, how are you doing? Welcome to the program. Thanks, Matt. I'm really excited. This is one of the first few podcasts I've done in the last couple of years. Um, I'm real excited, and then I reached out to uh, each of these gentlemen. They were so nice to agree to, to join this. I I think we've all had some laughs over the years. Yeah, doing well, working in-house at IDI, building up the investigative markets here, having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It's it's great to see, uh, see you still in the industry and still doing what you're doing. And, you know, we, we specifically wanted to pull different people from different parts of the industry, just that that, that have had their their pulse on what's uh, what's been going on. So we're going to jump to the next guy, Kelly Riddle. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Glad to be here with all you guys. I'm, uh, you know, it's kind of unusual. We're not chasing each other around a conference or something because that's usually where we see each other. Right, right, right. And that's actually you and I actually met at a conference uh, almost a year ago, uh, which is probably the last conference <laughs> folks went to in January. Yeah, that's right. Uh, for for Nally. Uh, so what's going on in Texas, man? Yeah, so it's been an interesting year already. You know, I mean, we're still busy and uh, just you know trying to find out what the norm is now. Right. It's, uh, it seems like the rules and laws are changing all, all the time, constantly. We're going to talk about that, right? Surviving our business and how uh, the, the adaptations we've made and things like that. So uh, next on deck is Mike Doris. Mike, how are you doing? What's your background? Hello. Uh, yeah, well, my background is as a skip tracer. Uh, I've been a skip tracer since about 1980. I started a database company in about 1991. It's called Merlin Data Publishing. Sold that business in 2012, and I'm back in the skip tracing business uh, with an agency in Montana that specializes in locating people. Nice, nice. I know uh, you and I were talking offline, and and I remember I was like a, a Merlin user back in the day when I first got it started, and I was like, oh, Merlin, I, that that rings a bell. I remember that. Uh, so it was cool to actually chat with you offline. Uh, you know, using that database so long ago and, and just never knowing uh, the person behind it. Okay, so we are uh, saving the best for last, apparently. Uh, so, Jimmy Messis, welcome to the program. I know we had a, a episode with you recently, so we're checking back in with you. So, what's new with you? Well, good to be here and good to be uh, chatting with my old friends. I mean, we go back 
many, many years, uh, all of us seeing each other at conferences. So it's good to talk to them today. And I'm looking forward to our conversation and hopefully some of the things that we say today will be helpful to investigators listening to us. Right, right. And uh, Jimmy, you've, you've been traveling all over the place, right? With the uh, with the bug sweeps? I've been traveling uh, since April. I've been flying every single week. Uh, I just got back uh, from upstate New York last night. And uh, you know what? The key uh, in this pandemic is uh, adapting, overcoming, and uh, going with the flow. But you know what? Business moves on. We have to stay in business and keep taking care of our clients. Sure, sure. What I like about your story, uh, Jimmy, which is why I ended with you and wanted to start with you uh, on this, is just your entrepreneurship and and how you have been able to adapt, um, you know, through uh, through the time and and you know going from investigations more to doing bug sweeps and then, you know, obviously we have the magazine which we we covered on on an earlier episode. You are the guy who knows how to adapt and change and and uh, do things. So. Um, what, what piece of advice could you give somebody who is looking to maybe start their own business and, and uh, get off the ground in these uh, trying times here? Well, you know, Matt, I think the key, and I've been always saying this at my marketing seminars and classes, is if you can specialize in one thing, I mean, most PIs do everything, but if you can specialize in one thing and be known for that one thing, when someone's looking for that specific service, you're the name that's going to come up because you have that specific specialty. So I tell people, if you can specialize in something, I think you'll be more successful. But more importantly, I think you'll be able to charge more money when you're a specialist, just like uh, different doctors uh, specialize in certain things. The, word, the moment that people hear the word specialist, they already know they got to pay more money. And I'd rather be the person that charges more. And I think that's a good tip. A nice aura to that. Um, so, Kelly, tell me a little bit about uh, now the difference between having a smaller agency and, and you know jumping in and having a big operation. Because you, your operation is quite large, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, 61 investigators just in Texas. And we're licensed from Florida to California and all the way up the East Coast, Illinois, Ohio, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, you know, I agree with what Jimmy said about specialization, but you know, over the years, what we have, what I've done very well is find the niche that's out there and become a, uh, specialized in that particular niche, as well as you know, keeping everything else going because we've got a lot of mouths to feed. So we do a little bit of everything, but within that, you know, we have brought people in that have specific specializations, and uh, so we do the bug sweeps as well. Uh, you know, we. We kind of got into nursing home abuse investigations many years ago and, uh, you know, then 18 wheeler and cargo theft investigations. And so we've kind of morphosized into, you know, different niches. And that's really, in my opinion, you know, I differ with Jimmy a little bit on that, you know, because if you have a bigger agency, you can do a lot more things and, sure. uh, and do it well. Yeah, they turn into departments, right? <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Uh -huh. You know, so you just got to, you know, make sure that you do it and do it well. Right. And uh, speaking of specialization, uh, Mike, that's kind of your thing, right? With the, uh, with the skip tracing. So how did you identify that was something that, uh, that you wanted to grow your business into and specialize in? Well, I actually um, started as a skip tracer because I was uh, managing a process serving company. This would have been in the mid seventies. Uh, um, and um, when our clients would give us a, a, a paper to serve, and it was a bad address, we'd have to return the document to the client. 
Uh, and uh, I learned how to skip trace so that we could keep the document in-house. Basically, I taught myself how to find people. And it got to where I really just wanted to, to uh, go out on my own, not really uh, to build an investigation agency, but to build a skip tracing company. And I really never did any other types of investigations uh, through all my years except uh, locating people. Right. So I'm sure everyone's dying to know, like, how did you all meet and how long have you all known each other? This is Neil. Like, listen, I, I was a private investigator from 1987 uh, in Manhattan working for a guy for nine years before I went on my own. And uh, the thing I didn't understand was, you know, how do you get better? How do you learn? And then I started going to these conferences when I went on my own. Right when I got into the database world, I started uh, heading up uh, investigative markets, mostly licensed investigators, and then got to meet Jimmy through PI Magazine, which was was and I, I guess to this date, you know, still the kind of the staple of what the the PIs are, are reading to try to stay connected. You got to remember the industry's a it's not like you go to you go to college, get a degree, and then you get hired on by this big Fortune 500 investigation company. There's a lot of companies out there, and Jimmy's magazine was 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 so important you know, to a lot of the guys starting out, and and you know, and a lot of the other stuff that Jimmy was doing. And then you run into a guy like Kelly Riddle, who I was uh, saw at a tally conference, and I just mentioned this story to him recently, where. I saw him at the end of a conference, at the end of a grueling three days where he was a speaker, helping a young lady out who was just starting in the industry. When everybody else was packing up and leaving, he stayed an extra hour. And that's the stuff that uh, really resonates with me with some of these guys. Jimmy's the same way, Mike especially, and, and Kelly, uh, the stuff that they would do to help out. And that's what I, I've kind of been when I moved to uh, the database industry even with IDI. I'm like the in-house advocate for the investigators. Yeah, no, and it, it's important to have that voice in that uh, sector of, of our industry, right? Somebody who is out in the trenches that understands what's important. Um, I, I think that's why uh, people respect you so much, you know, just because of the, the background, knowing that you've, you're one of us, you know, <laughs> type of deal. Uh, when you got to go back and you got to talk to corporate on behalf of investigators, like having that domain knowledge of, of what it takes to to be out there and do it is, is really, really, really important. And, and even Jimmy too, same thing, right? So you're, you have that investigative background where you, you were PI and you take over the magazine, you understand what investigators want to see, what they want to know about, you know, you, the content that you're putting out there, you know, having that knowledge of, Hey, I used to do this. Um, I think goes a really long way, right? It really does. I think what's interesting is uh, Mike Dury's and I have a similar background in that we both started out as skip tracers. I mean, I became a private investigator in 1979 and my specialty was skip tracing, but for other private investigators, I knew how to get info that they didn't know how to get. So PIs have always been my clients going back 40 years and it's 40 years this year that I'm doing this type of work. Uh, so it's amazing how to see the data industry come alive. You know, databases didn't exist way back when we had telephone books and pulp books. And we had to depend on uh, knowing how to get information without using a computer. Yeah, And that's where skip tracing came in. And then once the data companies came in, wow, that made our life so much easier with so much information. Yeah. And that's a great point. So Mike, why don't you tell folks uh, how you, the, the big way that you started collecting uh, information and kind of got into it as far as uh, the court records and, and all that. 
in the database uh, business, uh, which I started by buying a phone disk uh, back in about 1990, uh, I saw an ad in a computer magazine for a national phone directory on CD-ROM, uh, which was a, a, a huge um, boom. I mean, there was no such thing as a national phone database. And I bought the phone directory. It cost me uh, $2,000 for this phone disk. And uh, I used it for a while and called the company and said, hey, I want to sell these uh, phone disks to other investigators. I think I could do quite well with this. It took me a while to talk them into it, uh, but they finally made me a reseller and I opened my company, which uh, the beginning of my database company was selling phone disks to investigators. And then I learned how to, uh, how to buy tape uh, from, uh, from the Secretary of State in California. I bought the UCC index on nine track tape and learned how to put it on a CD-ROM. And we were a CD-ROM publishing company uh, up until about uh, 97 when we started on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, it, it reminds me of um, Bert Hodge, right? Kind of a similar story where he would go down to the courthouses and they were essentially just like throwing away documents uh, and him going, oh, I can take this stuff and I'm, I'm going to, you know, scan everything and create this, this database system. So I think like back then, back in the day, like investigators or, or business owners who had that foresight to to take a chance and do that stuff. And listen, $2,000 is a lot of money to, to, to put out to start something off back then. Uh, is a bit of a gamble, right? Well, sure. Uh, and I didn't have a CD-ROM drive either. That cost about 800 bucks. And <laughs> I had to learn how to put the CD-ROM drive in the computer. Then I had to find investigators who had a CD-ROM drive, which there weren't hardly any. But any investigator I found that had a CD-ROM drive bought the phone disk from me. Right. Um, so it was, it, was, it was sort of like um, it was very easy to sell once I was able to uh, put the data on a CD-ROM and get it out there because uh, sure. we were the only ones doing it at that point. Sure, sure. Okay. All right, guys. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to jump into really uh, uh, digging into that more, right? Talking about what things were like then and, and what things are like now and, and how you feel like things are going in the future as far as uh, investigations go. So um, everybody sit tight and we will be right back. I want to talk to everybody today about scopenow.com. Scopenow has been a big time sponsor of this program for quite some time. And I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers. And it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is, is Scope Now is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and, and uh, looking for information, I think is one of the best points of how Scope Now can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you, you're spending on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts. So you have uh, particular people that you're looking at, you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, 
is flagged and goes off. It's really, uh, really amazing. And their relationship and association analytics are uh, top notch, really uh, cutting edge and really, really cool. When they brought that out on version three, it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know, having that relationship you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. If you're a member of Scope now, if you know who they are, you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports and put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox, along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. ScopeNow.com. Are you a member of NCISS? Do you know what this great organization does? The National Council of Investigation and Security Services was formed in 1975 to keep a watchful eye on legislation that affects our industry. Now more than ever, there are data privacy and DMV issues popping up all over the country. Consider joining and supporting this much-needed watchdog for our industry. Learn more at NCISS.org. In 2019, Investigation Education Consultants added a new affiliate in its never-ending quest to provide quality professional investigative training. IEC is now offering certificate courses and investigative training online. Our website IECOIT.com will soon offer a certificate in professional investigation for those interested in entering the investigative field. There'll be standalone investigation classes for those seeking continuing education credits, CEUs, or just interested in taking classes for their own personal or professional interests. The classes currently available are Foundations of Investigation, Legal Investigation, Criminal Investigation, Fraud Investigation, Background Investigation, Interviews and Statements, Skip Tracing Locates, Ethics, and Report Writing. Investigator Toolbox members will receive a 20% discount off the listed price. So visit IECOIT.com. Check out the latest issue of PI Magazine available online or via hard copy. Visit PIMagazine.com to learn more. And welcome back, everybody, uh, to PI Perspectives, the round table. We are here today with uh, Neil Cadell, Kelly Riddle, Jimmy Messis, and Mike Doris. Hey guys, welcome back to the program. Good to be here. Yep. Hey Matt. Great. So uh, before we tapped out, we started talking about some of the old methods of how uh, we did investigative work back in the uh, in the seventies or late seventies, early eighties, and into the nineties. And uh, you know, Jimmy and Mike had touched on a couple things. Neil, why don't you tell me a little bit about your experience back then and some of the challenges you faced when you were actually doing investigative work? Yeah, my specialty was uh, medical malpractice defense, and I worked for a, a PI up the west side of Manhattan, and we had those pulp books. And I don't think many people out there are really going to know what they are, but they were uh, lifeblood for the investigator. And every year you would get the old year's books taken out of your office and the new ones brought in, and they were very expensive, so, uh, I think about eight or 10 grand. But they were gold because you would be able to reverse a phone number or go to an address and see all the individuals that are, live at the address or have lived at that address in the, the recent years as well as other you know pieces of information so that was like that would start 
their investigation. And then the states also had some some data. And then I remember when uh, you know Hank Asher came out with his first database with a uh, little microfiche. I remember the first computer I had, it was a uh, 48-bowed, 200-megabyte compact computer. And the comprehensive reports were $0.89 cents a minute. And I remember spending $80 a comprehensive report there in, in the, the early 90s, which I at that time was just gold. You know, it was very, very tough to put data together. And I think that uh, that really got me running. You know, everybody thinks they can put information together, solve cases easier. They know how to do it better than the next guy. But I think that when you have a database out there that now in seconds can put information together uh, that can help you just even find somebody. How, how much easier did it make you, you guys' lives when you started using databases and you're, you're you're skip tracing and it came it became a lot easier, especially Mike when you started rolling Merlin. Right, definitely, Kelly. Why don't you uh, tap in on that one? How, how did it make it easier for you? Yeah, so uh, you know we went from not having any computers to having computers to having the internet, and uh, you know so it was a transition for a lot of us. And like uh, th- these guys are saying, you know we had the old crisscross references, you know the books and everything else, which got really cumbersome especially if you were out in the field, you know, you couldn't just uh, go to your cell phone and or your laptop and dial up a database, you know, you had to wait till you got back to the office. So it was, it was really a, a problem, you know, and, and uh, you know, like Mike early on, I uh, saw the internet as a marketing, uh, you know, tool for me. And so I created what was, what was called internet on demand, which essentially was, uh, a search engine, but it was search engine for PIs and it was topographical and stuff. And so, you know, I used to sell that on a floppy disk for forty nine ninety five. I sold thousands of them. And so everyone here is business minded. And so if you, if you talk to us, we've all found ways along the way in which to, you know, cultivate business because of the transition. And we've survived because we've been able to do that. You know, my very first book, I've written 14 books. My very first one, uh, private investigating made easy was doing exactly what these guys are talking about, you know, doing the old school PI work, going into the courthouses, doing the crisscrosses and all that stuff, you know, and now we've gone from, you know, 35 millimeter cameras to large video cameras that literally were on your shoulder to now, you know, very minuscule, high definition cameras. So it's changed dramatically. So I used to do surveillances with those cameras on my shoulder, driving down the streets of Manhattan, trying not to run red lights with a camera on my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> in the good old days. Yeah, I, I, I have a video of me running and jumping over cactus trying to get away from a dog and uh, <laughs> had that big camera on my shoulder. It's a good times, right? Yeah. Uh, so listen, technology has definitely made our job easier. Uh, I think one of the things it's done also, it's enabled us to to be a smaller shop as well. It helps you have the ability to do more with less staff, you know, to cut down on your overhead too. So that's something to obviously take in consideration to how things have grown here, right? The ability not to have, uh, you know, as many administrative people, you know, a case management system will help you do it. But what what are some of the things, Neil, that you've seen uh, as far as the databases go as, as the improvement over the years? And 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 like take us take us to the uh, to that that discussion planning with the database company, right? Let us be the fly on the wall for those type of conversations. What did that look like when, when you were planning on, you know, how you were going to build that business? Great question. Um, I've been through a lot of meetings and sat in, in, in these data discussions with 
some of the, the credit bureaus that are out there, as well as these other data vendors that have information, databases spend tens of millions of dollars on information to, to build, a, and they sit on top of algorithms that try to score the best address. And it's the secret sauce of a database. And uh, some of the, the neat stuff, you always want to be on the cutting edge of, of what's coming. And uh, when I, I joined IDI a couple of months back, the big discussion was what can we do to take over the investigative markets and how can we help? And uh, we had a great discussion or uh, we're ready to launch in the next month uh, an app-based version of IDI Core. That's something we're going to roll out for the only for law enforcement and for the licensed investigators. It's going to be a specialized product. We're going to beta test it there. Uh, as well as we've gone to um, over the years, but now with IDI to geospatial technology that will sit behind the database. And quickly what that means is it's just you take fragmented data, input it, and then use a radius of uh, from a half a mile to 10 miles to 50 miles away to get all the matches for uh, pieces of, for, for that piece of information that will get you all your leads. Um but historically, you know, uh, it, it's uh, it's a tough industry. There's government regulations. There's reasons why that that is out there. And as we get on and moving on to 2020s, you know, it's getting even tougher. But that's what makes it more interesting. So, Mike, what was one of the game changers uh, when it came to like information now being available that was not previously available like over the years? What were one of the things back then that, that when it happened, you're like, oh, wow, this is really going to open a lot of doors for us? Well, I think after the phone disk and the ability to see a national phone directory, it was really uh, Hank Asher's first people search database that started, I think, in about 1993. Uh, Neil talked about it, uh, the 300 baud modem, et cetera. Um, that was just uh, an unbelievable breakthrough um, because of the ability to see a fairly comprehensive address history uh, for an individual to be able to search by social security number, to be able to see other people at the same address, etc. So I think that really that the very first people search databases uh, were sort of the breakthroughs in the early 90s. Sure, sure. And, and Jimmy, running the magazine, you know, I guess having your pulse on the industry from other investigators, like what, what were some of the things that that you recall hearing from investigators that they wanted to see that were actually then ended up eventually in these new products? I think the key was technology. Covert video came into play more in the mid-90s, late 90s, but it was big, it was bulky, and investigators were trying to get covert video inside. I mean, before then, investigators would use the camcorders, and from their vehicles, they'd be able to get anything going on outdoors. But the key was insurance companies wanted inside video. Person goes into a restaurant, a bar, what have you. They wanted to see what was happening, or, or even uh, shopping in a Home Depot. So I think technology, the video end of it, really made a difference in the workers' comp end because now insurance adjusters were able to see more in the day of the life of an individual. And more and more investigators had to buy hidden cameras they had no choice because their competitors had it. And if they didn't have it, they weren't going to get the work. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good point, Jimmy. So Kelly, obviously the next level here would be the social media, right? So if you're looking at somebody's day-to-day -day life and what they're up to, you know, being able to do that. So Kelly, like how did you first implement that social media research into your business model and how have you seen it changed over the years? 
Yeah, Matt. So, you know, really we're at a point where we almost have information overload because, you know, a lot of the the databases out there give us so much information, you know, and you, you try to couple that with social media and all the other databases for government agencies and stuff. And uh, you really got to be careful. So, you know, I always, you know, this is kind of a off the topic topic subject, but, you know, I always advise investigators to, to understand that all of that is just a lead and it has to be verified because, you know, it's just the way of the nature of all the information that's coming across. And so, you know, with social media really was a great tool early on uh, because there's so many people putting stuff on the internet that they shouldn't. And, you know, now people have gotten a little bit smarter about it. They're starting to use alternate IDs and you got to dig a, a lot more than what you used to, but it's still good information, you know? And so I think that's going to be one of those areas in the future where we're going to have a couple of companies kind of like, you know, the IDIs and, uh, you know, of that nature that's going to really put their finger on that and make that available for PIs across the board without us having to do as much digging. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really been a, a push for that. Um, and I think in the information industry, just understanding that pivot and, and why it's so important as we've... Uh, moved our lives to online, right? Especially this past, uh, you know, nine months or so where everybody's shelter in place, you know, uh, we've got no choice but to talk about what we're doing <laughs> on our phones just That's right. to have that interaction. So, you know, within the last 20, 30 years, is there a particular tool? I'm, I'm going to name out a couple of them. Uh, I want to get your opinion on what you think was, uh, you know, the best available tool today or, or, or during its time. Uh, so obviously we took, we touched on social media. Um, there's tracking devices, phone pinging. We were able to do at one particular point. I don't think it's, uh, <laughs> it's available too much anymore or, um, or the, uh, DRNs tools. Neil, why don't you give me your opinion on that? And then we'll move to the other guys. Sure. Uh, you know, I think it's just been the, the way that some of these databases have been able to evolve. You know, you still were and, and, and Kelly re- referenced it. The data you get from a, from a database used to be very, um, it wasn't as spot on or, or, or clean as it is now. Almost every investigator would spend time going to the courthouses and, and reviewing the information and verifying it. From there, social media has really kind of taken over the space. I think that's probably the biggest uh, change I've seen in 20 years is that people can't live without having the phones in their hands. and uh, and it's almost an extension of, of their of their brain, and they just make bad decisions. I mean, I I worked a case of gosh when MySpace started, where I followed a guy around. He didn't do much, but on his MySpace page with his name with a nickname, he posted all these uh, pictures of himself on a, a motorcycle doing three sixties in the parking lot of, of his condo complex with time and date stamps on there, not nonetheless. So I'm basically, he made my case for me. I, you know, I captured those pictures in my report, testified to it, and it was the defense verdict. It was, you know, back injury case. So I think that that's really when things really, when you married the social media to the, um, the databases, and now what's, you know, we're moving to is the databases are, are figuring out ways to um, use case management software to do a lot of the, the you know, you, pull, you used to pull up three different reports at times and you find commonality yourself. Now it's kind of being done for you, but still the best investigator, it gets to the end quicker with the best information. The one that does the, the better uh, digging within the database and with the open source and within social media, those are the, the guys like, like Kelly and, and Mike and, and Jimmy, when he was you know doing the, the skip tracing, 
these are the guys that I, I would would bet my last dollar that did the best and the most um, the best use of data for the right reasons. Yeah. And to me, when you're talking about databases and, and information providers, I'm always of the uh, idea it should be a trinity, right? There should be at least three and social uh, or, or open uh, resource on top of that, right? So you should be able to uh, know how to utilize and get that confirmation from multiple databases and do your open source on top of that. But talking about uh, thinking outside the box, it just reminded me of a case I worked on uh, a few years ago where uh, I was trying to track down a, a eyewitness to somebody who had fallen down in the subway and, and, and basically hit their head, uh, fallen downstairs and died. Uh, so I had a witness who saw this person fall down the stairs, but that witness was in the process of being arrested. So <laughs> we found out through uh, just through through the transit authority's information, we got all this redacted information. So they redacted the guy's last name, his address, and everything. But where they forgot to redact or where they didn't redact was where he was referencing that he lived with his aunt and he gave the, the aunt's name. Right. So I was able to take the aunt's name, which was kind of a not a, a little bit unique, but not too crazy. Uh, and I knew he lived in the general area of where he was arrested. And I was able to actually track down and find the aunt. And it was a matter of just going to the, the, the aunt's house, knocking on the door. The guy wasn't home and introducing myself and saying what I was there for. And I needed to talk to the guy. And, you know, I ended up getting a killer statement from this guy and uh, they ended up settling the case. So I would have never found that information, would have never been able to find it if had I just put it in to a database. So the database helped me find the ant. I definitely needed to have that, right? But I wouldn't have, have taken a step further if I didn't have that investigative technique and the training that you get by doing the job and, and you know, having conversations with the Kelly Riddles and the, and the Mike Doors and, and, and Jimmy Messers and, and how do I get better at doing what I'm doing, right? You know, so I think it's a combination of all that. So technology is your friend, but it's not the only thing either. And that's something always to remember. Hey, Matt, this is Kelly. To, to your point, you know, we kind of married the two together on a case recently, within the last two or three weeks where uh, an attorney called us because there had been a major accident. And so we got onto social media and started, you know, seeing all these posts. And so those individuals, you know, we had to find them, obviously, to get their statements and stuff. So we took the information that we could, went to IDI core, got their contact information and, uh, you know, we're able to make contact and get statements. And then those that, that it was a too, you know, too common of a name or we just couldn't find them. We just messaged and, you know, sent a message to them via social media. So, you know, sometimes you got to marry the two. Right. No, definitely. And to me, I, I see the future, in my opinion, is not just social media. Now the whole thing is live streaming. Right. You have these apps that are out there where, where folks are just getting online and posting about their lives live stream. And, and they have a, a, a they're monetizing it now, too, where you can start giving tips and giving money. I mean, you want to talk about a way for people to launder money. <laughs> like, this is the future of, of what's going on. This is, you know, um, you know, these new apps and these things are coming in. It's just another avenue that I think, um, you know, we're going to have to. Uh, end up looking into and becoming part of part about it. So we're going to reverse and go all the way back to old school again. And I, I want to talk to Jimmy and, and, and Mike about some of the old tactics um, that have uh, that you started with that, that maybe a, a PI that's been in business. Let's say so you, once we're talking to somebody who's been around for like 20, 25 years is their way of doing something uh, specifically. So what are the ways that uh, these old tactics can now change into new tactics uh, and, and help them operate better uh, and adapt to the changes in the industry? Jimmy, you can take that one first. You know, when I started out in New York City back in the late 70s, the key uh, tool that I had was the telephone. 
we would be able to do social uh, engineering, pretexting, and we were getting an abundance of information that way. And then unfortunately in 1987, the phone companies came out with caller ID, which totally changed our ability to be able to do social engineering and pretexting. We didn't know how we would be able to do it and not get caught uh, claiming to be somebody else and making a phone call. But the key was the ability to think outside the box and come up with scenarios that people would actually be willing to give information to you. So the concept that I always taught my investigators was always remember that information that is kept is kept for someone to use or reference later. And if you can get access to or become that person or use social engineering to get access to that information, uh, you'd be able to get info that you can't get in the database because databases did not exist. So what I find interesting is old school investigators really had to do it the hard way, investigating. And a lot of times now I find that investigators think that because they have access to a database or a computer that they can just research online. It does take a hell of a lot more than that. And it's a mentality thing that people need to focus on. Definitely. definitely. How about Mike? What's your take on that? Very similar. Uh, obviously, we come from the same place. Um, uh, I remember doing a seminar showing how uh, we put civil indexes, uh, the California civil indexes on CD-ROM. And uh, I was uh, showing a, a class of skip tracing class how to use the database. I found a divorce filing for an individual. And one of the people in the audience said, well, how does that help you? And my answer was, well, it helps me to know there's a divorce so I can go to the court and take a look at the documents because there's a lot of information in that filed document that's not in an index. The indexes are created for databases so that you can find the document. Uh, they're, they're created by clerks in the first place so that the documents don't get lost. And the investigators that know how to pull a document and read a document and analyze a document are always going to be better investigators than uh, database searchers. And uh, it's a, a good example of how knowing how to do it the old way along with now you can access most of these court databases online, a lot of them for free, um, putting the two things together makes you a much better investigator. Yeah, one of the things they're saying now with this open source uh, and, uh, research and, and people that are, are looking at um, at fraud, you know, um, online, is that if you understand coding, that gives you a whole big advantage, right? Folks that can actually go behind the scenes and are doing their their uh, forensic uh, uh, research. If you understand how to read code, that's going to give you a level up in the business too. So it's it's crazy how <laughs> it changes. Now we all have to be programmers, apparently. Matt, this is Jimmy. Uh, it brings up a good point. One of the things that I have found about private investigators, successful private eyes, is that we are very knowledgeable about a lot of different things, social media, computers, technology, video. I mean, it, PIs are very smart. We have to be because in order to be able to satisfy our clients' needs, we have to know a lot of things about a lot of things. So, you know, the jack of all trades, it's kind of interesting, but I also find that we also um, are very intuitive into figuring things out because we're problem solvers and we think outside the box, but we're getting paid for it. And that's the reward. 
Right. And if you follow Jimmy's advice, you're getting paid a premium for it, right? That's it. Definitely. Uh, okay. Neil, why don't you tell me a little bit about the difference between uh, this, this, this sole practitioner and the small shop and the bigger shops and, and how a, a small shop can really compete with the bigger shops with some of the new industry tools and techniques that are behind there? What have you seen? What I really believe is if you have a strong leader of your PI business and you start as a one-man shop, I was a one-man shop. I worked for a a smaller shop than I was a small shop when I had my business and I had ended up with like eight investigators. I think I probably did a better job when I was with three investigators. And to, to get back to what Jimmy's saying, um, as the, the lead investigator, as the person connecting the dots with data, I mean, I've almost turned this into a, uh, a, a circus bar sideshow where, you know, it's like seven degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon. I can basically sit there and, and do a, a almost a bar trick where I can figure out what somebody does for a living or what, you know, where, the, if they're married or, or how many kids and where they're from, just from my, you know, years and years of, of, of looking through data and just, uh, assimilating in my, in my mind. That's the one thing they'll never change that the, you know, the databases and the boots on the ground have always been there. But, you know, I think we've all found that the, you know, you work for a really high end law firm or insurance company they don't want to have a stack of information in their hands. They want somebody to analyze it. And I think that that's where, where a small PI can, can really shine as he grows his business and how he can compete in the world of, you know, the, some of the bigger outfits that are out there. Um, the bigger outfits aren't necessarily, I, I wouldn't hire the biggest outfit out there. I would hire Kelly in a second, of course. Uh, but, you know, there's so many huge other firms out there that are hiring a kid that's just out of college and paying them. 15 to $20 an hour. And those kids don't really know what they're doing, but just, you know, in a perfect world, there are safeguards in place. And sure. if you've trained them well, a guy like Kelly, you know, Mike, Jimmy, myself, you know how to, to get the best out of them. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good point. I think it, it really comes down to what the client wants to spend and what, you know, what they're really actually looking for. I think, you know, when you're dealing sometimes even with insurance carriers, they're not necessarily interested in the, in the truth. They're, they're, interested in checking off the boxes that they're required to check off in doing their investigative work. Uh, and then it's a budget, right? It all comes down to, you know, how much money are they spending? Where can they save they save a couple bucks? Um, I think one of the problems that a lot of investigators make actually when it comes to this data and, and the, the, um, the, the information that's available, because it is, there is so much out there, right? Um, I think it's some investigators lack the ability to take that information and form a report out of it, right? They just regurgitate it back. You're like, here's the 100 pages of research that I found. And I think my clients anyways, they want to know like, okay, well, what does that mean? I don't have the time to sit here and go through 100 pages and look at, you know, this Facebook page and that Facebook page. Give me the assessment. Here's your assignment. Now give me the results of, of your investigation. And I find, you know, from what I've seen in my experience and some of the, the guys out there or girls that do this stuff, where they fall short is, they don't actually analyze it. They just regurgitate it, and it's a it's a problem. You know, you're not really giving them what they're asking for. Yeah, Matt, this is Kelly. You know, to that point, I mean, I've seen investigators that will take a database report, a comprehensive report, and just give that to their client and charge them, you know, $500, something like that. Well, number one, contractually, you know, they, they're not supposed to be giving that report directly to the client. And then secondary to that, you know, a lot of the law firms have access to some of these reports as well. So you're charging them $500 for something they know 
that you got for a lot less than that, you know. And then, you know, back to the point of large agency versus uh, smaller agency, you know, for me, I've got guys, all they do is surveillance. I mean, they don't do anything else because that's what they're good at. And then, you know, we just had a case in Mexico and we had to pull, you know, our resources. I got a guy that's former DEA. I got a guy that's former military intelligence, you know, and so we, you have the ability as a larger agency to bounce things off of each other. You don't have quite that ability, you know, it's a one or two person operation. So there's pros and cons of each side of that coin. But when I first started my agency 31 years ago, you know, I had four investigators starting off. And so you grow from that. The trick to that is like Jimmy and Michael tell you, you know, you've got to adapt and use the the tools that you have within your agency. If, if, you, if you're not intelligent enough to figure out what resources you have internally as a bigger agency, you know, it, all it is is you're taking the small mind frame and multiplying it across the board. And if you right. can't do that, then you're not using your assets. Yeah. And then also having that knowledge of knowing when you as the owner need needs to tap out and turn the investigative work over to your employees so you can market and grow your business and hit that level. If that's what you're trying to do, right? If you have that goal to be bigger, you know, there comes a point where you can't do everything yourself, right? You need to have administrative support too. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, and that's why you got good case managers and, and that's, you know, having the case management software along with, you know, the the databases that we have access to now, you know, Neil, I've watched him at conferences and he's very, very good at explaining, you know, databases and the uses of it. And some of the newer PIs that come into to this profession, I mean, they really are like a deer in the headlights. They, they, they are just so much data out there and they don't know what to do with it. There is. There's a lot out there and you just don't know where to start. Uh, so having, you know, folks like you guys, you know, being able to mentor, because that's another aspect of it too, right? Having mentorship in this industry you got to have it. Absolutely. You know, we, we need, you know, to find our replacements. We need to, you know, raise up people behind us that are con- going to continue to advocate for this profession and, and do things the way it needs to, to be done. Um, so, Neil, you had talked a little bit about some of the cool features that IDI uh, is looking to roll out here. I mean, what, what do you see in the future as far as this industry goes? Broker companies, like what's their position? How are they looking to continue to service our industry? And what are some of the, the things you see in the near future that are coming? Well, the biggest thing of all is the you know the credit bureaus. They used to be the backbone and ninety percent of the data that would sit within uh, an information source database. That's changing a lot. You know, we have uh, I think it's over two thousand alternative data sources here in IDI Core, and it's uh, connected to unique information. Uh, I had a, a cool uh, story. Where I got a buddy, a younger guy who became a PI because uh, he knew that I was a PI. So he went and he became a PI and he's living off the grid and he's a surfer. He moves out to La Jolla, California, and he, and he swears I can't find him. It's over the years I've never found him. But then we have a search that's connected more to a marketing file. I always say that we use Jiffy Lube. It's not Jiffy Lube per se, but it's a, it's a, the story that that makes it work. You know, where you know the idea is you're helping your your wife out a honeydew list on a Saturday. You're going to get your wife's oil change at the at the local shop. Uh, well, a lot of these shops use the same CRM. It's all, you know, one or two different ones out there, and they're capturing the marketing data up there and selling it. Well, there's companies like us who are out buying it. So I was able to put in uh, my buddy's name, which is very common in La Jolla, California, where I knew that he lived. And I was able to find both his wife and his daughter's car connected to his name with his address, with the VIN number sitting there. And I would then click a map 
view for uh, the address, which was in there. And I had a picture of his house. I just took a picture of it and texted him and said, tag, I got you. Yeah, nice. <laughs> he was down feeding the seals anyways. <laughs> it was all good. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Jimmy, how about you? How about you with um, bug sweeping technology? Like, what are some of the things that you feel like are coming down the line that, that are going to make that job different or, or easier? I think the key that technology just keeps changing. I mean, if you think about it, the spy shop industry does about a half a billion dollars a year. So people are buying spy shop gadgets and they're obviously using it on other people. Um, and the 5G is now coming on board. So now we have to worry about figuring out how to capture the 5G uh, signals. And most of, the, most of the modern equipment that we have will do that. But, you know, Kelly and I, we specialize in, in one of our specialties is doing bug sweeps. We have to constantly keep track of what's happening out there, what new frequencies are coming out, what new toys are people using to bug each other. Right. Uh, and we're busy. I mean, during the entire pandemic, we were working virtually almost every day. So it hasn't stopped anybody. People are emotional. They think they're being watched, listened to, or followed. That doesn't stop because of the uh, COVID. So we're busy. I'm sure Kelly's busy. But the technology, if you don't have the right equipment, though, you will not find the latest in gadgetry. So the only thing that I warn PIs out there is if it's not something you do for a living, let it somebody like the professionals do it. Don't try to get caught making a buck, doing a dog and pony show, faking a bug sweep. It's not worth it. Right, exactly. It's always better to know the guy or girl than be the guy or girl. Kelly, how how about for you? It's like some of the tools, um, some of the, some of the things that you see coming down the the, the pipe here that that have got you excited um, for investigative work. Yeah, well, I I agree with Jimmy. There's it's a lot of technology that's changing that we got to stay on top of. But you know, there's things out there just like uh, garbage trucks going down streets. They are now having sensors on them in some locales. They're testing them so that. You know, the newer cars have sensors in their tires that tell you when they're low and stuff. Well, they're reading those sensors as they're just driving down the street and gathering that information. There's a lot of different ways. You know, we've got all the satellites that are up in the air. And what, you know, a lot of people get focused on is the United States. Well, there's tons of other countries that have satellites out there. And the United States has lax privacy laws to, you know, compared to other countries. But that doesn't stop other countries from gathering our data. And so I think at some point you're going to see some digital stuff come online that is probably going to be based from other sources that we're not seeing right now. Right. So how about you, Mike, with with skip tracing? Is there some sort of product or some sort of technique or something coming down the line that you're looking forward to that you think will help make your job easier? One thing I'd like to see is um, some better representation by our industry into the legislation and regulation of some of the databases that are available to law enforcement, but not available to PIs, uh, or even things like national voters' records, uh, which are available to um, newspaper people and uh, law enforcement, but not to PIs. Uh, there are several states uh, where national voters' data or data for that state is not available to a private investigator um, or national DMV. These are things that would be quite helpful um, if if we figured out ways to trust private investigators with information from credit bureaus, uh, things like social security numbers and the ability to to look into at least the top of a credit bureau report 
And I think those types of regulatory changes uh, would be quite helpful to our industry. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And we're, we're going to wrap up on that point, actually. So really, really important for uh, associations like NCISS uh, when it comes to like data and data privacy, and making sure that we have a voice uh, both uh, nationally and, and statewide, too, uh, because th- that reform is coming. It really is coming. I mean, it, you read about it all the time that, you know, that the sense of, hey, this is my private information. I don't want anyone to have it. Um, and listen, there are arguments that that uh, that give validity to that, but there needs to be a carve out for investigators yep. because you know there's reasons for us to do and get what we do, and you know the the legislators need to understand that, right? They you know to, to understand that we're not you know the guy that they see on TV, we're not the Perry Mason, we're not the you know Magnum PI, we're not all that. You know, this is a real industry with a real need for this information. Uh, so that's something that's really, really important. So yeah, we're going to close on that just to, so folks understand that they got to, you know, you really have to support your state associations and, and your national associations when it comes to that stuff. Guys, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come out and, and talk and uh, just give your perspective. Um, I think it's really important to um, to really reflect on what used to be and, and what's now and what's going to be in the future. And I, you know, it's just such a great panel of people with different backgrounds. Uh, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to, uh, to talk to us about it. We're going to put all the, in the show notes, how to contact each one of you guys. Um, if anybody has any uh, further questions, but uh, again, thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks guys. See you at a conference. Thanks man. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Good job. Take care. And uh, thank you everybody for, uh, for tuning into the show. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Never a bad idea to revisit prior episodes that have real value. Thanks for checking this one out. We hope you enjoyed the topic. We'll be back next week with some fresh content. We'd also like to thank CrossTrack, ScopeNow, Investigator Education Consultant, and NCISS for sponsoring the show. So please support our great supporters. Have you thought about joining Investigator's Toolbox? Now's the time to get on board and join the fastest growing digital community for investigative professionals. Use code PIP201836 to save 10% on membership. If you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com and you can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back next week, we promise, with a new show. Make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.